delving into stocks, property, bonds, economics, and more. This is the Stock Market Mentor Podcast. Taking an unconventional stance, we challenge the industry to help you protect your investments and empower you with the knowledge to become a savvy investor. We don't provide financial advice. Here's Steve Moriarty, Tom Hill, and Jacob Senior. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Total Money Management Podcast. I've got Jacob and Steve here with me. G'day. How we doing, gents? Good. End of the year. Feeling Christmassy. Feeling Five thousand degrees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go outside, have a swoop. Shoot, it's hot. Right back into the aircon. Crank it on. Uh, well, look. Um. Yeah. The intention of, of the podcast today, we're going to switch it up a little bit. It's going to be more conversational uh, than some of the previous ones, and and really the intent of today, gentlemen, is just to review you know, what's happened in 2023 and start to look forward into 2024 and where the opportunities might lie. Excellent. Just just having a look at this, right? I mean, let's just start off with the S&P 500, almost 23% this year. Hallelujah, Um, brother. I mean, looking at the Cape ratio at the start of the year, I I will say I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, yeah. But here we are. Yep. Steve, do you think that's mostly off the back of the Magnificent Seven? Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, if you look at the distribution of returns, normally that that you've got 500 companies in the S&P and there's, it's a market cap weighted index, which means the big companies, when people put money passively into the market, i.e. I'm just going to buy the S&P 500 and buy SPY, right, which is an ETF. What you're doing, if, if you put 100 bucks in, what they do is say, oh, well, if Apple is 11% of the the total market cap, we're going to buy $11 worth of Apple. For every 100 bucks they put in. That's exactly right. So what happens is you get this tremendous, um, you get a tremendous burst in the bigger companies because that's where the weight of the money is going passively, right, which is people just buying the index. It's different if you pick stocks. Um, But what's happened is everybody's got into the, the big seven, so there's just been more and more momentum. But what you said at the start there is interesting because when you look at a caper 30, and it's been as high as 33, but it's it's that's where it's important to keep that, that time frame, that 10-year time frame, because it can be 30 and it can stay 30 for two or three years, but then it'll go to 10, right? Yeah. And you go, oh, okay, that's where the big 40% or 50% fall can come from. Yeah. Oh, look, that, that makes perfect sense. I mean, it's probably also driven, right? Like this year, the buzzword's been AI. Yeah. So everything to do with AI has gone absolutely bonkers. Yeah. I mean, looking at this as well, tech stocks, telecommunication, Yep. they're both up 22%. So Yeah, I mean, it feels for me, you look at tech stocks and AI obviously came out this, this year and went absolutely gangbusters, but tech stocks, PEs and uh, and kind of valuations have been insanely high for, for years now. Yep. And the, the question I have I have for myself or is when when will they ever come down? What's the average? You know, like when will they ever revert to the mean? Will they ever? What would that mean for, for the greater um, sector? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it just feels like they're never going to come down and that's why you get this sentiment of, uh, just invest in the Magnif- Magnificent Seven, just put your money into the index and it will o- always ever go up. But you're like, well, it, it can't continue it can't forever, continue. Yeah, but, yeah. but when? Yeah. 
but that but that's the that's the the thing about investing is always and I've 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 noticed this over the last six months is exactly that question right which is oh yeah they're really expensive but they you know when are they going to fall and it's like right if I knew that I'd be short one hundred percent the the day before yeah. so but what and that's the value sorry that's the value of valuation because the bubble stocks and asset classes go on for longer than you think. Mm. But how the, do you value the, how do you value something like Facebook that can just fabricate a product out of its ass that costs nothing, like the metaverse or? Um, well, the metaverse <laughs> cost him a well, exactly <laughs> five billion. But I get but I get your you point though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Through the roof. I mean, you can burn that much money and then go, oh yeah, well, I'm still on a PE of fifty. Yeah. But I think uh, uh, I mean the the tech sector is is the ultimate sort of growth sector because like you say you can invent a product really cheaply and sell it and uh, you know the profit margins are huge which flows through to you know the share price right and, and insanely so, scalable too right absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah. i would say just on that you know like i paid i paid i got charged um 109 <laughs> for to renew my microsoft word Office or whatever it is right yeah, yeah. um Last year it was ninety nine dollars, and and you sort of go, oh yeah, you know, ten bucks, but you look at it and say, well, hang on, that's ten percent mm. of ninety nine. So why am I paying an extra ten percent now? Times that by you the know, billions of people, billion using, people it. using it. <laughs> no wonder, no wonder, fucking Bill Gates has got a lot of money, right? But, but it's what you say, Tom. The the thing about IT, which is different from building cars, is. You get that scalability that's, you know, and, and what they call the network effect, right? And that's what they're all trying for. They're all trying to get that network effect. And that's really different from saying we're going to build a motor car because you can't, you know, you can scale it up, but it takes a really long time. Mm. There's lots of complexity. Whereas if you roll out, you know, I don't know that much about AI, but you you look at a few it's of them. Terrifying. Well, it is in my mind, but it's all. But it, the competitiveness is is what interests me in that sense. You see, because the when I look at it and go, well, there's going to be different sort of things of AI. So how does that Im, how does that impact the share price of these companies? Oh. And that's where I think, like you say, Jacob, you you say. Oh, this is just going to go on forever because after AI, AI, they'll be, you know, they'll they'll have some new product, but oh, and again, they'll keep improving it. Yeah, but this is again what this is what Schiller talks about, where he says you get this, you know, new era bubble, and and what happens is we go to the everything's going to be different, and it's like, well, it, it might be, but and I I can't remember, it might have been last week or a fortnight ago, I was saying to someone, the question is, what's the price? Right, so what? We all know about AI. If you're an investor, you want to know how much you're going to pay for it and how much is it going to be worth. And at the moment, when you look at the IT companies or the you know the big seven, what you're doing is pricing it for perfection. Mm. Right, so you know that's what you've got to consider. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I find it hard to value something like Google, where it. What I feel like is most people try to. Try to value Google like they might try to value 
Bunnings, where you can say, okay, Bunnings has nine million bathtubs. That's because it's it's they've got all these workers that that make the bathtubs, and the bathtubs worth X, and it, and they, they sell it at Y. Yeah, which you can't do that. You can't value a tech company on under those under that construct or framework because what is a piece of data worth? Oh, yeah, but they make a fort. It's, it's the ads, right? They're all in the same game. Like Facebook, you know, we get to consume Facebook for nothing. But people advertising on Facebook are, are paying an absolute fortune. Yeah, we advertise ads. on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I don't know whether you, well, yeah, I think you can, the thing that, that the reason why Google's a good investment is because they've got 95% of search. Yeah. Right? That's, you know, even if they said, well, it's a dollar a search, you'd go, man, that's going to be a lot of money. Mm. It's, I think the concern for me is not with Google, well, with Google currently with the court case, which looks like it might have struck a little bit of trouble, but generally for those companies, it's quite hard to price them because what you're talking about is pricing in, you're buying the future. And yeah. so the question comes back to, well, you know, how much revenue are they going to make in the future? And what I've found is generally you are overly optimistic about how the future is going to go. And so you tend to think, oh, you know, the stock's at 100. Oh, well, it's, gosh, you know, it's going to be worth 200 in three years because you're, what you're doing is just extrapolating with a recency mm. bias. You mm. know, like, oh, it's, it's gone up three times this year. Well, it's going to keep going, yeah. right? And that's the hard part. And you never know. Someone else could knock them off. I mean, a classic example is, uh, with let's use Google, with OpenAI now, Bing have, uh, Bing have been nowhere for her. I don't even, couldn't, couldn't tell you the last time I used Bing. Now they've partnered with ChatGPT and OpenAI, and that's their main search engine yeah, for yeah. ChatGPT. So if everyone starts to use ChatGPT and says, hey, tell me the blah, 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 it won't use Google, it will use Bing. People start to use ChatGPT. Like, what will that start to eat into their market? Um, who knows? You know, like, But there will be a point where I think someone knocks their head off Google or Facebook or whoever else, and... Yeah, we you can see a downturn. You can sort of say there's AI is the future, and that's not a controversial statement. But the question is, the next level down is, yeah, but who's going to win the race, yeah. right? Like, you know, like airlines will change the future, and they did. Yeah, okay, but which airline company should I be investing in, mm. right? Oh. And that's the that's the hard part. To be frank, it is pretty amazing what you can do with it. I remember Jacob and I, about a year ago, we had a bunch of strategies that we were looking to backtest. And at that time, we used to have to go find people who could build the script in TradingView. Yep. So then we could run all the backtests. Right. Or when manually do it through an Excel sheet, which is yeah, awful. which is fine, but <laughs> time consuming. All right. With ChatGPT, we could sit there and go, all right, these are my conditions. You know, every time we're over this moving average, put a sell order in of X percentage of my portfolio and then run that test for the last five years. And within 20 minutes, you can get ChatGPT to build that for you. Yeah, all the time. And you can run it. So, I mean, look. But it raises a lot of questions about, and I, I, I think I wrote about this a few weeks ago in the week that was, mm. you know, that when you listen to what the capability is, it's it's pretty, it, like you said, Jacob, it's pretty terrifying. <laughs> like you sort of look at it and go, like, you know, I look and go engineering, um, marketing, marketing, music, art, uh, medical, uh, legal, uh, accounting, 
like you start to walk <laughs> through jobs and go, there's going to be a lot of unemployed people. How many decisions can this thing make? As, well, it, as but, it gets sharper, it's, yeah. it is deadly how good Absolutely. some of the stuff that comes out is. Well, hence, I think why the, in Europe, why they, I think yesterday, they came up with uh, regulations about it. Because I think it is when you, you know, as I say, when you do look at it, you go, man, this thing's just going to like wipe out heaps and heaps of jobs. Mm. But my argument is that will actually be a good thing because we're going to need because more labourers to build well, houses. Absolutely, <laughs> but de- but for demographics, right? Yeah. There's going to be, you know, if we're going to have an infrastructure program, we're going to need a lot more people who actually do lump cement and you know put nails in wood. Mm. Um, so it may actually be a successful transition from um, to to take us to the green economy, right? Yeah. Where we're still going to need a you know we're going to need to rebuild infrastructure, you know, blah 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 blah. That's interesting. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Last night on ChatGPT, the CEO or founder, whatever he, whatever his name is, can't remember his name. He walks around every day with a, a backpack on. I think I've told you before, Tom. He walks around with, with, he's got a blue backpack that he walks around every day with. Yep. And the only thing in that backpack are the kill codes for ChatGPT in right. case it goes rogue. I think that the fact that you have to do that is nuts. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's it for ChatGPT. Back to US stocks. I mean, review that it's been a cracky year. Yep. It's been a great year. People have made amazing returns. What do you reckon for 24? Thanks. Uh, <laughs> Steve uh, Moriarty. No, no pressure. Um, uh, look, to be quite honest, I, I think 2024 is an election year. I would find it that the US economy is doing really well, right? Um, the government's pumped a boatload of money in there. Because we've got a lot of debt, well, because there's a lot of debt, the US interest bill payment is now somewhere around 900 million to a trillion dollars a year right so oh, in just an interest sorry just yeah an interest. Uh, but see but see that's uh, people go oh What's my god australia's that's t- economy well yeah australia's economy is about 1.7 trillion so <laughs> but that's but see that feeds in to the that that money goes to people who will spend it right um, now, that's, it's a little bit more complicated depending who gets the money um, because if the wealthy end get it, they're not going to spend it. Mm. But if you give it to the poor people, the poor people will spend it and that will create more economic growth, right? Yeah. So the US is booming really well. There's talk of a recession and I, I'm not sure that's actually right. I think, again, and like we've talked about in prior episodes, I think people are working under an old paradigm. Um, look... There might be a recession, but if the US economy is getting a trillion dollars in interest, huge government spending with Biden's Inf- um, Inflation Reduction Act and the CHIPS Act, then and it's an election year, you'd hardly think they're going to let the economy fall into a recession. Yeah. There's also, I think, the, the one of the main points is the Federal Reserve realises that there's an absolutely huge, overwhelming amount of debt out there, not just in the US, but in the world. Mm. And so it's going to continue to provide liquidity into the market. So again, tying back to what we've talked about previously, the returns might be low, but there won't be a big crash. But they're, they're, 
what I'm saying but is... But there I, might be a big crash. Well, yeah, I can't tell you, you know, no. when there's going to be a big crash. But, yeah. but what I can say is, listen, the Cape is at... Um, the Cape's at 30. Generally, that means you, there's, it's going to fall down. Now, yeah. is it fall down next year? I don't know. Yeah. But does it fall down over the next 10? More than likely. Yeah. But yeah. what I think is, as I said to you before, if I'm working in a new paradigm where we're looking at an equivalent point in history... I think what you find is it might actually go down 10% and then 7% and go up 15 and then go down 20. So there'll be a lot of volatility, but you It'll be you know, a stepping stone. Well, yeah. Not but, like the COVID. Well, the valuations yeah. are high, right? And and we know with, you know, 150 years worth of data, it's going to mean revert, right? It, now, I can't tell you when, I can't tell you why, but that's what the data shows. Yeah. And what does that mean? I mean, Tom, what would, what do you reckon it means for asset allocation? Like, wh- what are we going to be looking at next year in 24? Yeah, well, look, for the last couple of years, um, my strategy, probably at least 60% of my portfolio has been cash. Yeah. Um, just because so much is heavily overvalued. Uh, personally, I've started to put a bit of money into energy, um, and we will probably touch on sectors shortly anyway, yeah. talk about overall valuations. But, I mean, they've had a couple of pretty ordinary years. We got off to a bit of a false start this year. Um, and obviously last quarter we saw that correct again. On the other note, most of the cash I have in the market uh, at the moment is more short-term stuff. So, you know... In-term in deposits kind of stuff? No. Well, my cash is obviously sitting in a bank account, which... Yep. 5.2% or whatever. It's pretty um, good, isn't it? When you it's not bad. Well, it look, it's not bad. Right? Yeah, yeah. When it can't really go down. Well, it's a lot bloody than one. Right? But yeah, well, the other thing is our well one strategy. Mm. That's where most of the money is. Right. Yeah. So that's more of a an Crack active Crack a month last month. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, yeah, obviously that's a more active strategy, right? Where daily yeah. we're either pulling some money out or or making a buy, but it doesn't take a lot of time. Um, and the thing I like about that is there's strict rules in place. So if it gets below our point, we pull the pin. Yeah, and yeah. then I've got cash there if, if we do have a big crash. And if it was a false drop, then we'll be in again. Well, I think that's more – that's why I think that type of strategy is going to be more important than a buy and hold strategy. I mean, you guys know we don't like buy and hold anyway in terms of long term. But what I'm saying is because of the volatility – to, this year's a perfect year, right? You're up 20%. You're thinking, man, this is great. You know, I'm going to ride this sucker. Whereas the best idea is to go, okay, this has been a pretty good year. We've seen that it's really tilted towards IT and tech stocks. The Magnificent Seven, okay, I'm going to rebalance and I'm going to take, you know, some of the profit off the table. If the cape was at 12, I'd be going, dude, ride it out. You'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. But at 30... It's a different proposition, and that's where I think we differ from a lot of the mainstream because they're like, yeah, 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 it'll be fine. Just keep going. It's like, mm, okay. Ride the waves, dude. Ab- yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I just like it because you're not sitting there going, what happens if it drops? It doesn't matter if it drops. Yes. And if it keeps going up, it doesn't matter if I can explain or understand why it's still going up. Yep. It's fine. Mm. Still so I think some what I'm hearing out of that is we've got – the, the, the strategy for the next few years will be more important than what it is that you buy. Real, I mean, there's obviously going to be cheap sectors and expensive sectors, yeah. cheap stocks, expensive yeah, stocks, yeah. but the main thing I'm hearing is that we, 
if you have a strategy going to 24 and beyond, let's just say 2024 to 2030, you will you'll fare off a lot better than most people. Absolutely. You're yeah. gonna you're going to have to be a little you know, I'd say this all the time anyway. Um, you have to be you're gonna have to be a little bit more active than simply buying something and saying, um, well, let's talk about Bitcoin, right? Because you guys were talking about Tom, you had a survey or something. Oh, yeah. About I was talking about my, Michael Saylor, who's obviously been, you know, a big fan of Bitcoin the last few years, runs MicroStrategy. I don't remember the exact count, but billions and billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin. Yep. He released a poll on Twitter the other day and he said, how high would Bitcoin have to go for you to consider selling and taking some profit? Yep. 30.9% of people said 100 grand. Is that number? So and 100K the current US. price is about 40? It's about 43K US. 43, right. Yep. So a double. A bit a over double. double yep. yep. um, 18.9% of people said over 250,000 US. <laughs> 14% of people said good thing. over 500,000 US before <laughs> they would even consider taking any profit. And then 36.3% of people said it would need to go over a million. Um, but that same group also <laughs> said they may never sell. Right. So, I mean, so when you, you look at that, that does make you nervous, right? Yeah. yeah. You sit there going, mm. Yeah. Well, Meb Faber did a survey, I think this year, or maybe last year, where he said, "What would you be comfortable owning US stocks, I think, at a PE of 50 or something, like the overall market, you know, and something like that? And, and you know, like, would you sell at 50 or a PE or 100? And most people are like, no. Nah, <laughs> well, to me, but it, look, it might. I think if if you say no, then my argument is you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, you're speculating. Oh, like, let's be well, honest. You, yeah, we, we've spoken about this before, right? It's all well and good to say, you know, when it hits this number, I'm going to sell. But if you've bought a stock, it's gone up a lot. It's actually really hard to sell. Absolutely. Like, it, it, it actually is. Unless, and everyone, I feel like everyone goes, you have to have a strategy. What does that mean, though? But if you do have a system where it is robotic, then well, you go, well, they're just my rules. I sell some Absolutely. and it makes it a lot easier. Like yeah. for me, uh, before I had that, I found it next to impossible. Well, because you haven't got a strategy. Yeah. And I envy Jacob because his gut feeling would be like, yep, up 300%, boom, in, yeah. locked it in. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, yeah, you wait till I'm up 600%, you know. Yeah, but the only reason I did that was because I lost – a lot <laughs> at the beginning when I didn't have a strategy. You're the wise man, mate. I'm the wise but that's what. Man. But it, I mean, that's the classic case, isn't it? That 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 the the thing that we don't do, and this is what we harp on about a lot, is the time, right? And what I mean by that is, that Daniel Kahneman, his book, right, uh, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow, said there is no stronger emotion than the one you feel at that point in time, mm. right? And that's what makes it really hard because with investing, you, what you're doing is saying, I'm up 300% and it's going to go further. Now, you have no idea whether it's going to go further and more than likely, it's going to go into reverse, right? Mm. But what you're doing is not saying, oh, well, that's all right. I'm going to sell and I'm going to find something else to buy because which is projecting into time, right? And this is, again this really important concept in investing about how you look at it because people 
don't put themselves in that position where they say, well, yeah, I can sell this and then I'll, I'll find something else to buy, mm. right? Because it's, a, again, why, you know, you imagine being Warren Buffett, right? He's got all of this cash at these high points in the market, but he's just saying, you know, Buffett knows, well, there'll be more opportunities and I'll get a chance to buy Right, but hardly any of, of hardly any investor thinks like that, right? Which is what you're sort of saying, Tom. You start projecting out, oh no, no. Whereas it's it's it is, Jacob did the right thing, which is saying, hey, listen, I just landed three hundred percent. I'm going to take it off the table. If it goes to six hundred, fine. But Jacob's going to get another chance to buy more stock. Yeah, I think you to your. I think you just made the point just for Steve. It's a knowledge gap as well where people get in early days or, or they've got a really surface level knowledge of investing they have a win and go shit if i take my money out now i need to actually learn how to find the next yeah stock. yeah yeah so oh what i'll do is i'll just i'll just keep it in the market and ride the waves because that's what we've always done them use but they're like, encouraged to do that too yeah obviously yeah yeah for sure but something use something like bitcoin we'll go back if you invested for it's, it's 10 years old now well, really 10 years old since it's been on the main exchanges, You, if you invested $4,000 10 years ago, it's had a year-on-year year average return of 74%, yep. you'd be a millionaire. Yep. And that what people fail to realise is that Bitcoin has only ever existed in a macro bull market when the US has gone yeah. absolutely gangbusters when over there's the last cheap 10 money. years. When there's yeah. cheap money, yeah. Yep, yep. So what, where these people that may have invested five or $10,000 10 years ago who are now multi-millionaires are thinking well i'll never sell why would i sell yeah because it's going to go to a million i'll be be a billionaire in the next 10 years (laughs) well my my argument would be the question to ask is when would you sell if it fell like would you sell if it fell 20 percent or 40 percent or 50 percent because that's when the real questions you know that's when you Look, it's, it's the old Never. Mike Tyson. Well, it's the old Mike Tyson, right? Everyone's, what is it? Everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face, right? <laughs> and when you go, oh, I wouldn't sell for a million bucks, it's like, yeah, sure, buddy, that's fine. What about if it's at 10 bucks? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, then you go, oh, no, 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 then I'd buy more. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, best of luck on that, right? Because that's not, we know that's not what people do because they get stuck in the moment going, oh, yeah, I can't see Bitcoin under anything under 100. Mm. It's like, mate, every stock market bubble has been, oh, yeah, these stocks are going to the moon. You know, it's a new era, you know, blah, blah, blah. Boom, crash. You know, oh, nobody saw that coming. And what I'm saying is I don't need to know what it is. All I need to know is what are the, you know, what are the consequences? It could be a world war. Yeah, it could be a world war. It could be, um, you know, an explosion in oil. Yeah, it could be an explosion. could be one of a hundred events. That's not the point. The point is how am I exposed and, yeah. you know, what's my plan to get out? 100%. I mean, that's the thing, right? Not to make this a, a crypto podcast or anything <laughs> like that. But the reason, like, you know, we've all got these stories. Like, I've, I, you know, I still remember in 2011 a colleague telling me to buy some. And I think everyone's probably had that experience yeah, at course, some point. of course. And it wasn't until it was over Bitcoin hit, I think, 1700 US for the first time right. that I bought some. Right. Like, so dumb obviously just giving into fomo all the things that you know most people do when they start investing which is really just gambling um but the thing that i've always come back to and even said it then is i had a trouble wrapping my head around it because i couldn't 
value it. Like I couldn't go, what's it actually worth? Like <laughs> I understand still can't. nothing. No, yeah. <laughs> but I understand that like there's getting less and less all the time and yeah. blah, blah. Like, yeah. But the nice thing about where we are today, and obviously because we got to work with you, is we actually don't care what it's worth. Yeah. Like it, 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 there's volatility and we can trade it and we're not invested emotionally. I was going to say the so exact same thing. It's like, you know, the, it's nice actually being able to sit here going, if it goes to a million, awesome. But yeah. if it doesn't, that's fine too. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, I mean, uh, it, that's the same for any other stock or sector or ETF. I mean, I get asked at least every couple of days, like, what would you do if uh, this X, Y, and Z stock goes to a million or Bitcoin goes to 100,000 or if it goes to 10 bucks? And my response every time is I genuinely I don't care. I don't care. The strategy doesn't – I don't need to know what the price is for the strategy to work. Yeah, yeah. That's um, what that's what you that's the that's ultimately what you want, which is the rebalancing yeah. stuff. If it goes up, great. If it goes up, I'll just keep peeling money off. And what you find is using things like CAPE, that the higher CAPE goes, the more you should take off. But once you're comfortable with that strategy, or once you're comfortable knowing that. That's why, to me, it's so important if you're a long-term investor because what you, you know the market's going to blow up, right? And the fatal flaw of mainstream finance is, oh, well, if you can't tell me what the event is, then, you know, you have to stay silent. And it's like, no, no, no. All I'm looking at is the exposure and going, mate, I don't know what the event will be. And yes, absolutely, the cape at 30 could go on to, you know, 40 and 50. But the higher it rises, the higher the risk goes. Yeah. And we've had a, a fairly standard sort of bull market from 2009 where the US, I think, is up about 500% or something, you know, over that 14 years. Mm. And But that's a standard bull market, right? Again, if you go and look at stock market history, that's a pretty average sort of bull market. But the other thing you want to realise too is you go and look at it and go, yeah, that's funny. Every one of them lost 50 or, you know, like it doesn't go on forever. And you need to be positioned for that rather than just going, well, you can't tell me what it is, so stuff that. I'm staying 95 invested. It's like, okay, well, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. I won't be. Absolutely I, I want to start going hard when it's, you know, under 15. Yeah. But there personally. will there will be opportunities for 2024. 100%. Yeah, so you asked me a question about 10 minutes ago and we went in a, <laughs> a big tangent. Um, for me personally, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with the active, more of a trading style next year for majority of my portfolio. Yeah. I'll keep a lot of cash on the sideline and I'll probably put, I haven't determined the exact allocations yet, but probably around 10% into a couple of, of, of cheap sectors. Energy is one that I like. Yeah, yeah. Energy, I think, is a, a good long-term one. The PE... If you look at the P on energy, it's just crazy. It's just like crazy. 10. I look at um, it's ten, right? Ten point two, yeah. You got com services at thirty six, which is insane. I mean, you know, that's seriously low. Um, that, that doesn't make sense to me though. I haven't energy all things energy been going? It was lower. It was thing. lower yeah, when yeah. Steve told us to buy the oil ETF. But that was two years ago. That went nuts. That was two years ago. Yeah, and it's still cheap. Well, it went up a lot. I had a look at, um, you know, disclosure. I hold Woodside, um, and if you look at Woodside, Woodside went up about twenty percent. Well, my Woodside did anyway, but now it's back down to where mm -hmm. I bought it. And in fact, I think I'm actually now 
about four percent lower than where I bought it. I think I bought it around thirty, mm. right? Um, now, dividend's pretty good though. In Woodside, throw, isn't it? Yeah, throw in the dividend, but the PE on Woodside is like I don't know six or something. Mm. Um, now they're talking about getting into a merger with Santos, but that's more specific. But generally, energy and utilities look cheap. Now, here's the important part of that. The important part of that is they do well in inflationary environments, mm-hmm. right? And if we're walking into higher for longer, which I think we are, which we've argued, then I think energy is going to be a good asset to own. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's where that's where I've got a fair bit of my uh, portfolio. Yeah, but it's definitely not advice. Look Sorry? At, but it's definitely not advice. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> what, about, no, no. Um, what about financials at, what is it, 14? 14.9. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'm a bit, I don't know. I'd, I do this every time. But I think financials will be one of the picks for the well two strategy. It'll be in the bottom three with energy. Yeah. Um, and I think the other one's consumer discretionary. But uh, don't hold me on that. But my... The thing about financials is my concern is the level of debt that we have. Uh-huh. And so, for example, let's use Australia. You've got the big four, right? If you look at them, their exposure to the mortgage market is enormous. And that's what concerns me because it's, it, it's hard for, you know, banks bank money by lending money, right? Well, the banks have been spectacular well, Commonwealth Bank has been anyway, for about the last 20 years, right? I remember looking at Commonwealth Bank. I bought some first in 2000 for 28 bucks, but I went back and looked at it. I think it's 1991 or something around there. If you'd have bought it then up until about five years ago, because I haven't done the last five years, but it was it was like 15% compound or something. Like it was an un- seriously fantastic return. But that's because we've had a mortgage explosion from 2000 onwards. Yeah. I think, do you, know, do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, one thing that, again, gets me thinking about financials is it, I mean, it might be all right, it might not be, is that there's a lot of data to suggest that people are still managing to pay their mortgages. Like they're paying the bills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like they're, they're paying running the things that yeah, matter. Well, yeah, but you've got to be careful there because the, the idea, the argument was oh, we're going to have a mortgage cliff. Then six months later, you get all these blokes in property going, oh, bullshit, there's no mortgage cliff. And it's like, mate, it's been six months. Yeah. People have got a lot of money in the offset account, mm-hmm. right? They're running those down. They're running down the their savings accounts, yeah. right? So, the, and we've had an influx of Chinese uh, money and buying in, particularly in uh, Sydney. Yeah. But... My, and this feeds into what we're going to talk. We should talk about the economy because, you know, the the Australian GDP is two percent. Borrowing is running higher than the GDP level, and you that can't be sustained forever. And so my argument is again, people are saying, "Oh well, that that thing about the mortgage cliff that's wrong." And it's my argument is it hasn't even started yet. It hasn't yeah. even begun to bite. And again, Jacob, you get this, and I'm not just picking on property. This is the same with stocks, right? Mm. It's the same. Mate, you're wrong. It's going to go on forever. You know, people are still paying the bills. And mm. I saw something stupid this morning where someone said, 
Oh, it wouldn't matter if unemployment went to four, it won't change property prices. It's like, really? <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, that's just bullshit. People yeah. lose their job. They can't pay a goddamn mortgage. So they really need to get another job as well as the one they've got. But if we've got growth that is, you know, we're in a per capita recession, well, best of luck with that stuff. So again, to it gets to that issue of time, right? Yeah. Because we're all living in the present going, well, it hasn't happened. And it's like, okay, that's what the turkey thought after 990 days before Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> hey, these people are really nice, you know? And then it's like off with the head. Yeah, but. Yeah. But, you know, seriously, that's what goes on, right? You're thinking, hey, this is all really good. It's good, it's good to get context because, I mean, you're looking at all these newspaper articles and listen and the news and you're like, oh, yeah, consumer discretionary and everything's going down because people kind of, they're paying the mortgage and they're paying the things that make, uh, that, that they actually need to. But that's a good point you bring up. Like when, when will it happen that they've run their offset, they've run their savings and now they're like, oh, Shit, we can't pay the mortgage well, anymore. It's all noise. But there's also yeah. there's if you if you look into the if you look in a little deeper, what you'll see is there's quite a few properties around Australia that are selling below the list price. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right? I looked at that. And and again, it's you know, from my point of view, which you know, we're talking about in our second book, it's don't ask the barber if you need a haircut. Right? Of course he can tell you you need a haircut. Well, you, you know, you show me how many people in the stock industry or in the property markets are saying, listen, mate, things are really expensive. I'd, I'd be, you know, very cautious here, mm. right? Or if you're going to buy a property, you really want to buy something that is seriously cheap and you can do that by saying, okay, well, what would the rental yield be? Yeah. Right? And as Tom said before, well, I can get 5.25 risk-free in a in a and then account, account. <laughs> and have you know walk into the bank and go give me my 50 grand they go sure here it is but if you've got a property that's earning two if you're lucky and you say oh well I want to get out well then you you know you've got to spend 20 grand you've got to advertise it you've got to get rid of it you've got to pay the cost so there's a liquidity issue so it's not as simple as you know that idea that people say and and sorry just while I'm on that the other thing too is just because you can pay an investment doesn't mean it's a good investment, mm. right? And this is my argument about property. If you get to the point where you go, we're losing money on negative gearing, but that's okay because we're going to make 200 grand when we sell it. Okay, that's good. Now when you go, oh, actually, we're not going to make 200 grand when we sell it, and in fact the property prices have fallen quickly, that's when you say... You know, to me, the argument of, oh, don't worry about it, Jacob, you'll be right, mate, just keep paying it off. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but hang on, Steve, it could stay low for 10 years. Like, oh, well, mate, that's all right. Just keep paying the bill. Just keep yeah, paying the bill. The point? And I know people who have bought property and have made lots of money. I also know people who've bought property and gone, man, that was a really shitty investment, yeah. right? Because the, because they bought at the peak or they, they didn't do the proper numbers. And a lot of it is involved around this idea of negative gearing, right? And I, that's why I say, you know, borrow a million bucks. For and investment buy- properties, though, like if it's your personal, you know, your primary residence, a lot of people aren't going to be too focused on that. The capital gains will probably be a nice... On the PPR? Yeah. Well, yeah, of course, but then what do you do? It's your home. Yeah, I know, but see, this is this is where I think stocks are better. If I make a hundred grand in stocks, I can sell it and then I can just let it sit there. 
if I sell my PPR, I'm homeless. Now, I'm not being, you know, I'm, I'm being... I'm being trite, but what I'm saying is, it's not like you, you can't can, live in a share. Well, no, I know, but the, see, that's my point. You can make a hundred grand in stocks, and then say, righto, I'm going to leave it in my bank account, and I'm still living in a home. If you say we're going to sell the PPR for principal place of residence for one point two million, right? Oh, we made three hundred thousand. Okay, but you still got to now go and buy somewhere. Now, if you sell in a high market, how many people are going to say, well, that's okay, I'll just rent until I find a a suitable property? Okay, fair enough. At the moment, the rental vacancy rate's about point zot, so, you know, best of luck finding a place to move into. So, again, the idea was in property, oh, so long as you buy and sell in the same market, it's right, it's it's good. And it's like, no, 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 no. You want to sell it when it's really stupid high and you want to buy the next property when it's really low. There's a space in between where that happens and you need to wait. Now, I can do that with shares because I say, like you said, Dom, oh, well, that's cool. I'm getting 5.25 and, you know, I'm happy doing that. And I'll wait for the, you know, I'll wait for a really good share to come along. Now, you can do that in property, but once you move out, you've got to, you've got to, you know, you've got to be moving into something. So I, I think that's a little bit tricky because I haven't found too many people who said we bought for a million, we sold for 1.5 and then we went and bought for a million again and shrunk our mortgage, right? Because most people, again, like stocks, go, now I'm going to go and buy more stocks because, you know, it's all yeah. booming. So I'm going to get a $1.7 million house. Exactly yeah. right. For me, it's the... That's what they've been doing. For me, it's, it's how easy it's been to over-leverage yourself and you have four different negatively geared properties. Yep. Like that's, I think, the danger, or what really does absolutely really just, just scares me. Like the banks will go, "Yep, here you go. Here's here's eight hundred thousand, and it's negatively geared for ten years, and <clears throat> capital gains aren't guaranteed." That's what that's what I think makes me afraid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's 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 obviously look, it's, borrowing capacity is dropping as the rates rise too. Yeah. So, like, that, at yeah. what point do you think it goes? Well, you know, someone making two hundred thousand dollars a year can only get it, you know, as rates climb, might only be approved for a $700,000 loan if they don't have a guarantor. Yeah, yeah. Like, at what point does it go, hang on a second, I have to be in the top 1% of the top 1% Yeah, well, that was to actually get a, a someone, home? Someone wrote that, I think, in Sydney, you have to earn 300000 or something to get a, a decent... Loan. A, a decent loan for a... a like a family an, income. Of, yeah, for an average yeah. property. And to me, that's like seriously nuts because Sydney is something like 10 or 11 times income and it gets back to the point you said right at the start, Tom, right, which is I don't know what happens, but Jesus Christ, you know, the long-term, the long-term average has been four, right? So if it's 11, then you have to say to yourself, please explain to me why it's 11, right? Why is it different? And people will give you all sorts of reasons, right? Oh, it's immigration, you know, blah, blah, blah. Australian property prices have been booming since 2000, right? And there's a whole raft of reasons for it, which we'll talk about next year. But the point being, like stocks, and like you said, Jacob, where does it, you know, when does it roll over? And it's like, I don't know when it rolls over, but Jesus Christ, I am not paying 11 times income for a property, mm. right? It, that's like asking me to pay... Basically, 
50 PE for a stock and be confident that it's going to, you know, can, and that I've got to pay it off and it'll roll on. It's like, best of luck with that. Yeah. I feel sorry for the people that don't have a, a property. I mean, the people there's, there's a stat that came out where there's more people that have multiple homes like than there are with, I can't really articulate it the way I want to, but with there are with people with no homes wanting to get like into renters. the market. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There's more, so Bob and Mary might have six houses, and they're just using the capital gains because it's been booming for 20 years to buy another, get another loan. Yeah, yeah. Equity in the previous equity property. Equity in the previous property, blah, blah, blah. But that's where people get into trouble. Exactly what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It's going to, that, the rollover point will affect Bob and Mary more than the, than the people that are struggling to get into their first home. Because to your point, Tom, they can't get a loan right now. So they're having to rent or they're having to house share or something like that. Whereas the, the Bob and Mary who have four negatively geared properties, or let's just say two negatively geared properties and two that are in the that are in the green, they're going to really feel that effect when it does when the the hammer comes down. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's what you were saying um, about capital gains versus uh, dividends. Is that yeah, right? yeah, well, yeah. Well, I'm just saying people are speculating on capital gains and that and that they struggle to understand. That it's not only about capital gains is only fifty percent of the only fifty percent of the game. When exactly, yeah. There's the rental yield, yeah. And if if you if, that's why I think negative gearing is nuts, right? Mm. It's it's saying to the people you are going to lose money on purpose, but it's all right because the capital gain will go up. Yeah. And my argument is okay. Sometimes it goes up, but you see because. It property has risen for twenty years globally, not just in Australia, right? Because it's been the big asset class where all the money's gone. That's where we're lured into a false sense of property always goes up, and it's like I can tell you, there's plenty of investors who have lost money in property, and there'll be plenty more, right? And it's the same with Bitcoin. It's the same with stocks. It's the same. Look at bonds, right? You know, in COVID. They were buying bonds that were yielding half a percent. So now bonds are yielding 5.25. Those people who bought a, a bond at half a percent have lost something like 70%. Right? Oh, yeah, but bonds are a good, you know, they're a risk-free investment. It's like bullshit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's, what it, that's why valuation is really important. But it's hard to do that when everybody's buying property and making money. Everybody's buying AI stocks and they're all killing it. Oh, man, I'm missing out, right? <laughs> uh, what about you guys? What, what are you thinking for next year? Uh, I'm just going to stick to the strategies, the wells, the wells one, two, and three, make sure we rebalance Good effectively man. at the end of the year um, uh, and beginning of the new year. And just, yeah, to your point, short-term investments. I do have a fair bit in, in Bitcoin and crypto, um, but again, that sticks to the the strategy of if it if it falls to pieces, I'm not going to be exposed. Um, so it's all about just assessing the risk, making sure that for me that I'm I've got my eyes wide open with what's but happening in the economy. And smart bastard, isn't he? Yeah. Right? You'll go far. <laughs> no, uh, I agree. Yeah. That's Buy the cheap stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's but it's true, you know. Um, who was it, Charlie? Oh, not Charlie Munger. Um, who, was the other, who was the other guy that actually longer than Charlie Munger? Um, I can't remember. Walter, Walter Sloss in the US, he said, you know, buy cheap stocks and something will happen. And, mm. it, you know, you sort of think, oh, that's pretty simple. But, <laughs> you know, he outperformed the market, you know, for 30 or 40 years or something. It's worth highlighting 
that cheap stocks don't mean that they cost one cent. It's about the valuation. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Tom. Cheap yeah. stock could be yeah, excellent. Bucks a share. You know, <laughs> everyone's going yeah. by a penny mining so I'm yeah. 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 It might be one cent, and still expensive. Yeah. But it, but that's a, that's a good point, Tom. Yeah, it's it's it, the price is always in relation to the value, right? The the price doesn't tell you anything. The price tells you nothing. It's the value you want, right? Yeah. And. When we walk around every day with cars or strawberries or whatever, you've got a general idea of what the value is. Mm. Uh, sorry, what the price is, right, and what the value is. But it's different with stocks and property because the, the prices can move a lot, right? And that's why at some things, you know, you wouldn't buy, you know, um, whatever stock at 50 bucks, but it's a screaming bargain at 25 mm. Right, and that's the that's the difference, and that's why I say I'm not arguing. I'm arguing properties overvalued because it's had a twenty year bull run. I'm not saying every single property is overvalued. Yeah. All I'm saying is, like stocks, when everything's getting chirpy, it's pretty hard to find something that's value without being influenced by well, it's cheap, and this is a little bit what's happening in stocks at the moment when people say they're relatively cheap. It's like relative to what? Or relative to the US. Hang on, but the US is at 30. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, but this cap ratio is only at 22. And it's like, okay, but that's not absolutely cheap. Mm. It's relatively cheap. But if the US goes down, as we know, if they go down, everybody else usually yeah. tanks as well. Cheap stocks can always get cheaper. And to your point with the on the property piece, the property market's overvalued. You can find some cheap property. However, if the property market rolls... Those cheap properties it, will be even cheaper. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, they could roll further. Exactly. Right? Exactly. That's why I think that's important, like you say, Jacob, about sticking to the strategy, because once if you can if you can get that in your head and use that wells, you know, the plug for the wells coming up, <laughs> wells one, two, and three. The website. What you what you really get to understand is that it doesn't matter how the market moves what you're doing is adjusting your allocation right to the to the market that's what investors should do mm. and i find that a lot of the time you can be you know people will say you guys are 30 right oh you guys need a long term plan Hold on a minute not yet oh, well, 29 29 29 all right mate huge Jesus. difference mate um but my point being, people say, oh, you know, you've got to have a long-term plan and blah, blah, blah. No, you don't. You just need to know what the value of the market is, right? And if it's really cheap, I'm, I'm 61 in three months, two months or something. Jesus. But my point being, if the market's cheap, oh, no, Steve, you should stay in bonds at 5%. It's like, dude, I can get 12% earnings yield. Yeah. It, it's irrelevant that I'm 61. It's just, you know, if it's a, what I'm saying is it's not about me. It's if it's the market saying, Steve, I'll give you 11%. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm 61. I'd rather take four. Yeah. yeah. And the bonds lost money anyway. <laughs> right? So that's why I'm saying, you know, you can make all the plans you like, but the fact is the market dictates the return, right? Unless you say, I'm going to be a stock picker, right? Well, you know, best of luck with how that turns out if you can do that 300 times in the course of your life. Mm. Yeah. Leading on to what are you what are you looking at for next year, Steve? I know, like, we've chatted offline a fair bit about commodities. Yep. I know you're pretty bullish on them over the next sort of decade. Yeah, yeah. Specifically, like, is that regards to well, precious metals and generally being recession-proof or, like, where's your head at with that? 
Um, I think I do the Wells one, two, and three. I'm I'm leaning more. Well, Wells three is automatic, right? Every twelve months, rebalance, set of ETFs, blah blah blah, right? So that's done and dusted. Well, two is a little bit different, where it depends on what's at the bottom, and you know, you go from there. Um, I like well one, um, but that's because I like looking at the market every day, and you know, it's just my buzz. Having a tinker, volatility well, makes well, exciting. Yeah, it, and the I know it works, so I'm not, you know, now I, you know, I'm not saying it works every day, but I know mathematically it works, right? So. As Jacob said before, it's a bit like, yeah, well, righto, market goes up, I'll take some off, and the market falls, I'll put some in, right? And we've got parameters there. But I think, back to your point, Tom, I think commodities, as we've talked about with the new normal, we're in a different world, we're transitioning to a different world. Commodities, I think, have had a really lacklustre 10 years. Go and look at history, they have a bad 10 years, then they have a good 10 years, Right. Gold was great in the 70s. Stocks were terrible. Stocks were great in the 80s. Gold was terrible. Stocks were great in the 90s. Gold was terrible. Gold was great in the 2000s. Stocks, excuse me, were terrible, right? So gold, I think, is a good investment for the next 10 years. Now, I'm not a gold bug. I'm purely looking at it from a historical point of view and looking at the conditions of inflation and saying gold will be a good a good hedge and a good performer. Mm. Commodities, mainly energy, I think. And I and with that I'm using I'm I'm using a barbell strategy, which is simply what Nasib Talam talks about, which yeah. is ninety percent in, you know, he says bonds, and then ten percent in all these little speculators. Right. So my argument is, okay, I've got a fair bit in um, oil, yep. and then I've got a lot of a, a lot of. I've probably got ten, maybe uh, maybe twelve um, speculators, which are in things like graphite, uh, rare earths, and that sort of stuff. Which I'm going to delve into for the um, subscribers more next year. But I think they're – because in my mind, rare earths are now the new – are this century's oil. So oil in the 19 – if you go back to 1900, when we really got started really getting serious with oil, everything went gangbusters, right? We could build heaps of stuff and right because we had energy. This century, my argument is we, we got oil – but the thing this everybody's talking about and all governments are talking about is securing supply of critical minerals, mm. right? And I don't think there's a lot of investors that are paying enough attention to that. Um, and just while we're at it, I'm going to talk to people about a strategy of how do you go about buying these things, right? There's Ben Graham's strategy and blah, blah, blah. But my point being... A lot of them are little companies, and that's always a little bit more risky. Yeah. Um, but small caps have underperformed, right? So small caps are looking good. Equal weight will probably be better than market capitalization. So, you know, we can run through all those in future podcasts, but that's where I'm – I mean, it's you know, I'm, I'm sort of fairly boring because I've got 
Wells 1, 2 and 3, and 1 and 3 are basically sort of automated, so to speak. Well 2 is the one that fluctuates a bit more, and then I, I, I don't look at companies as much as I used to because I just, I think, you know, they're, they're risky. Yeah, the right? ETFs do the job. They've been doing a great job anyway. So What's that, sorry? The ETFs have done a great job anyway, so yeah, yeah. you haven't really needed to go into that level of risk. Yeah, and I, and you know, like, but if you, it's just this weird thing about people wanting to buy companies, yeah, right, because they just think that you know they're going to hit a Tesla or they're going to hit a Bitcoin or something. Whereas, yeah. what I'm what I'm saying is, listen, your chances of doing that are you know, really really slim. But if you want to give it a shot, fine. But, you know, who's going to put 50 grand into a tiny mining stock unless you've got 50 grand that you just want to, yeah. you know, blow out and go, yeah, right, I took a shot on it. You'd be surprised. Yeah, well, yeah, true. But I, I mean, know, who would have put 50 grand into Bitcoin in 2009? No one. Like, people did. Very few. Very few. Very few. Yeah, you but that's, do it. But that's my point. Yeah. You know, the, a lot of that stuff, and like you said, You've been riding a Bitcoin bull market, right? And beca- why? Because there's cheap interest rates. Bitcoin's full of mainly young guys like yourself. You know, there's Get that. rich quick. But get rich quick. You know, libertarians, are oh, the government's evil. You know, we're going to control the money. All that sort of stuff is exactly what happens in every stock market bubble, right? There's a new era. It's all going to change and then <laughs> shit happens. It all crashes and we go, oh, well, it's just another cycle, right? And, you know, back <laughs> to the again. grind. And, you know, that's why I say the benefit of being old is I've been through a few cycles, you know, so I've seen how it's gone. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. I think people are probably a little bit bored of hearing about, <laughs> about what we've got to say. What, what are we in an hour? Yeah, 57 minutes. Look, um, from my end, I just wanted to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and if you have any... Um, questions or comments, please head to the socials and uh, the website totalmoneymanagement.com um, and particularly, I know we've mentioned the well strategies, but genuinely if you have any questions and want to know more um, just send us an email. Get in touch. Us. Yeah. Well, other than that, Merry Christmas. Merry Cheers, Christmas, gents. Thank you. Thanks. That's it for another episode of Stock Market Mentor. We hope you have enjoyed the show. And if you have any questions about the episode or want to discuss how we can help you become a better investor, please feel free to contact us at support at stockmarketmentor.com.au. We'll see you next time.